Hello and welcome to Get Undressed with Sammy, aka Jackalope. Yeah, it's so nice to be here. Fresh off a 22-hour <laughs> flight from Bali, just landed and straight to our first fitting together. So it's a good day. <laughs> I think it's been an epic fitting, hasn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. So we got we got in touch. How long ago? It wasn't even that long. Three it weeks? wasn't that long ago. Maybe a month and a half, something yeah, like that. Not even. A month and a half. And then the green light kind of came maybe like a month ago yeah yeah so we were working hard we have our studio over in bali indonesia so we have an awesome team there uh we're still a really small team but we work with amazing like female beaters we do a lot of like handmade costume pieces so we've been working on it for the last two weeks and then flew it all out today and it went really well I need to give kind of like a recap to everyone to the whole situation. So a year and a half ago or almost, yeah, a year and a half ago, I come across your designs on Instagram on, you know, one of those accounts where there's like, um, like a screenshot of a close up of something, Mm -hmm. but it's, it doesn't even like, it's not even a fashion account or something like that. It's just like one of those accounts, like those, you know, aesthetic accounts and it's got those mermaidy vibes and I'm like oh my god amazing and you were tagged on this so you're tagged so I go on your profile then I find your profile then me and Patricia stalk your PR <laughs> and then we get in touch with the PR yeah fast forward we did a euros together and now you're doing the whole live shows custom outfits for Becky Hill for yeah. the summer which I'm super fucking so excited exciting. about I remember the first time seeing my work on Becky I was actually yeah. in Canada at the time we had just finished going to Shambhala festival because oh my, my boyfriend Bri films for one of the stages there so we just come fresh out of this festival I was at my friend's house and I suddenly got tagged in Becky on stage yeah. at the Euros wearing this stuff in Wembley Stadium and all of the press that came out with Becky really being a voice for body positivity yeah. and standing up for yeah. women, being able to wear whatever the hell they want, yeah. dress as fabulous as you want. No one should be able to say anything about your body, your style or anything. I remember reading yeah. that and being like, these women are amazing. Like it just really stood out to me because there was such a powerful message there as well. And it's yeah. everything that I stand for with the clothes that I make. So it's really in line. And I think, with what you do as well like it's completely what we stand for but there's also that whole element of earth friendly eco-friendly like you know and I think I also love like the whole vibe of the fact that your your pieces are literally like they're world travelers you know it's like it's for everyone all shapes all sizes all vibes all moods and and it's always like full of happiness it's yeah. such like a happy moment like whenever we see your clothes we're like oh my god oh, I'm so glad. You, you've seen during the fitting yeah like. well it's great because we have such a fun time making it you know like we are genuinely like even if it's a tight deadline or it's a stressful job like we're just so happy to be making yeah. these things and it's such a we have a really like happy team of wonderful people working with us so we're lucky to have that too you know I need you to tell me about how you started the brand how it came about okay i want people to know the story of jackalope (laughs) it's a it's a bit of a wild story when i was younger i was always academic first of all i always did like math science accounting business and um i was doing high school in australia and when i was 19 the day i graduated from high school in australia 
I got a one-way ticket to London because I had like stars in my eyes. Yeah, I was like, get me out of here, this small town. I'm ready for the big city. And I'm British and I'd never lived here before. So for me, that was a really awesome journey. I came over, I was going to go to Durham and study business and economics. Uh, And then I ended up getting my first job in London, trying to figure out what I was doing. I went backpacking around Europe on my own and had this giant change of heart. And I realized I'd always been like sketching clothes. I always loved musicians, actually. That's where my love of clothing came from. Just seeing like Blondie on stage or Elton John, like these old rock stars. Yeah, that was really where my heart was. And um, I had this huge change of heart. I dropped out of all of my university offers and decided to go with the clothing thing instead, but I couldn't quite fit into the fashion. Because fashion is so elitist as yeah. well. It's like you have to be in line with exactly what's and like being done at the moment. the number of collections you have to do a year. Like yeah. it was just all of this stuff that didn't really line up with me in the fast fashion industry. Yeah. Everything that goes on behind the scenes there didn't really line up with my heart. And then um, I have a really good family friend, Chris, who I was staying with at the time. She's a costume designer. And she was saying, you know, I don't know why you're trying so hard to go into fashion when everything about you is costume. Like you love storytelling, you love fairy tales, you love music. That's the main inspiration. So why not do costume? And my sister had also said to me, fashion is for money, costume is for art. And I love that act of storytelling. Um, So I ended up studying costume design for three years at Wimbledon College of Art. I threw together a portfolio actually and was really lucky to get in there with very little art background actually and a lot of people in my life were just like this is insane you're academic you're not artistic you can't be both well at least you know how to have a business yeah you know that's the thing because most designers their downfall is not knowing about the numbers about being organized you know and that's something that I definitely like learned in my younger years so I graduated out of costume and I ended up kind of assisting other stylists in London Mm -hmm. I was working here for a few years and then to support myself I was working as a flamingo at the London Zoo I I was a professional flamingo for three months I was at the zoo last week with my son I used to work next to the flamingo enclosure for zoo lates and I'd work with this performance group called the fabulous of unicorns um, they ended up making a Vice documentary about it, actually. We were That's wild. performing unicorns and we'd do like stage dancing at nightclubs and festivals and spread the sparkle. And that was our whole mission. Yeah. Um, so I was making costumes for myself, like little unicorn headpieces and anything sparkly. I was hand beating the bodysuits at the beginning yeah. on my own. And I kind of put them up on an Etsy because I was just coming out of school. I was strapped for money. I was yeah. like, whatever I can do, just sell anything. <laughs> and uh Eventually people started ordering my designs like little by little and I was also assisting and I thought, okay, well, whatever takes off first is the direction I'm meant to go in. You know, yeah. I'll just trust the flow of the universe. Trust the universe, yeah. yeah. And just go wherever I'm being pulled. Um, and then I remember saving up 2,000 pounds from all of my costume gigs and I squirreled it away. And it's hard to do that when you're young and in London. Yeah. 2,000 pounds is a lot of money. And I went back home to Bali, to Indonesia, because um, I can speak Indonesian and I grew up there. We've My family's been based there for the last 21 years. So I kind of went home to visit my mom on holiday and I used that 2,000 pounds to buy some fabric and make my first round of clothes. Instead Start of, the brand. Yeah, exactly. Because I I'd made headpieces a lot of the time mm-hmm. before. I was trained in millinery, hat making, all of that. And so made my first small, really tiny round of production with clothing, 
put it on an Etsy and um, I ended up getting my first wholesale order from a company called Dollskill. I mean, we know yeah. Dollskill. Yeah. So, and I was terrified, but I kind of have this attitude of like, say yes and figure it out later. After, yeah. Yeah. No you problem. Can, you can always make it work. A lot of these things that come along in life, you just have to be ballsy enough to yeah. kind of say yeah. that you can do it and believe in yourself to do it. And I think if you yeah. believe hard enough that you can do it, you will do yeah. it. And you'll find a way, you know, yeah. sometimes it's just going to be a little tough doing it the first time, but yeah, there's always a way through it. So with that, I kind of got my first order and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> like I've got no idea how to do wholesale production. So I flew back home to Bali with my boyfriend, Bri, and we just like figured it out from there. I had a local tailor, this little tailor shop with this woman called Ibu Goning, who was the first woman to ever make designs for me. Um, she was amazing and we kind of made our first round of like a hundred pairs of sequin overalls how insane is that yeah. like a hundred pairs people don't realize That's how much lot. time and energy fabric, and fabric also. it takes to do a hundred of them getting the fabric to bali is a whole other thing because they oh my god because you bought the fabric from china actually from china. wholesale wow. but yeah. you can't import anything to bali because they charge you up to a hundred percent import tax so wow. let's say your fabric is ten dollars a meter for example yeah you want to import it, that fabric goes up $10, an additional $10 for shipping per meter because it's a kilo a meter, then another $10 on top of that for import tax. So you're- Can you fly back so from China I started with the a fabric? whole fabric smuggling operation <laughs> <laughs> where I had a lot of friends who were living in Bali and they needed to do visa runs, you know, because you need to leave every 30 or 60 days. So I was like, all right, sweet. I'll just get the fabric from China. I'll ship it to Singapore <laughs> or Malaysia and then pay for my friends' flights and fly them over with empty suitcases, 40 kilos, send them to my friend's house, load up their suitcases that is with so clever. fabric, fly it back over to Bali. And it was just like, you know, a smuggling operation for a while. You're a sequin smuggler. Was, yeah, I was. And then it started getting bigger because then Dolls Kill reordered and they wanted 200 pairs this time. It's like, okay, the flights aren't going to cut it. Let's get a boat. We're going to get a pirate ship oh my and God. we're going to hollow out the whole bottom and we're going to fill it with much more sequin fabric. And then we can fly from the northern tip of Singapore up and across to the southern port or the northeast, southwest point of Indonesia, pick it up, drive it across country to Bali. And I had all of this planned out. And then I realized I was going insane. You're, you were like the Pablo Escobar yeah. of the fabric, <laughs> literally at fabric. this point. It got out of hand for a while there. And I decided like, I'm not a smuggler. So I decided to move production to Thailand in the end okay. for the wholesale stuff. Um, How complicated is it to have the production in Thailand while living in Bali? It's not bad because it's only a four hour flight over to okay. Thailand. So yeah. only the sequin overalls come out of Thailand. And yeah. then the rest of it, because I do all of the hand beading from Bali. So that you can do in that, Bali. I, I have to like oversee it a lot still yeah. to make sure the crystals are right and everything because you can approve a sample and then it comes back and they make three of them and then it's never the same and you have I to just used to be a designer it. and yeah. that was my nemesis it was like sending samples like sending a you know a technical drawing of a bag to India getting the first sample back and the first sample's fine yeah. getting the second sample and you're like disaster disaster <laughs> let's go back to the first one and then yeah. they were fine and they were like so can you give us like the Pantone color of the thread that's being used. Right. So you send them the Pantone color, you send them the picture of the Pantone, you send mm -hmm. them everything. Everything in the end is fine. And then the last fucking thing that arrives to the store, they open the boxes and they're like, we just don't recognize the bag. Yeah. It's not in the lookbook. And I'm like, oh God. Oh God. Like, uh, yeah, it can. it's crazy. And no matter how diligent you can be, 
you it's have the to, hardest I think, thing yeah that's it now I just expect that it's gonna go wrong and so you have to be so on it at every step yeah. and be like I don't know I, I think you have to be very patient you know yes that's it and just be willing to like go over it 20 times to make sure every round of production 100%. is right and then a lot of the time I'll design something get it and then have to unpick a bunch and get it re- yeah. redone and when you're dealing with hand beating that's like months of time but I think that's more important than just allowing it to be a way that you don't want it to be. A hundred percent. And it <laughs> also gives you, I think it also gives you a control over the image of your brand that's priceless. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, patience is key. <laughs> and so now you're doing some in Thailand, some in Bali. Yeah. So I'd say like 90% of it is still Bali because I like to keep it close to home. And so we found an amazing manufacturer that does profit sharing with their employees. For me, it's just really important. I yeah. don't want to work with bad energy. I just feel like every item that's made, you're talking about like a month of people beating it one mm-hmm. sequin at a time. Like I just feel like energy goes into these pieces. And if someone's hating their life and they hate their job, I just feel like it curses the garment. It and does. It's just, yeah. That's being put out into the world. So I really wanted to find a manufacturer that took care of their employees, did profit sharing. They provide accommodation. They look after them. And um, that for me was really important. And so, yeah, we're lucky to have found that. And then, That's amazing. Yeah. And then they work with a lot of female beaters. So in Bali... Um, a lot of the beaters that also made these pieces for Becky, they live up in the northern villages, like the northern tip of Bali, where there's not many tourists, there's not much Is going it like on. Is a tradition there? Yeah, so actually, it's it, a lot of garments were made there in the 70s. You had Escada producing in Bali, a lot of big designers were doing uh-huh. it. Beading was really popular, and then... Uh, tourism really hit hard and a lot of these beaters ended up going and working for villas or working for hotels uh, you know yeah, working for westerners sense. in yeah. that sense um so up in the villages in the north places like singaraja and kintamani you have a lot of females who have a family and their husbands are out working or down working at hotels or wherever they're working and these mothers are stay-at-home mums that then also want to be able to earn an income as well that's why they bead exactly that's why they bead because it's something that they can do while looking after their baby and while feeding their family and you know they can watch tv with their kid and just be like slowly beading a garment so it gives them a way to earn an income as well which is kind of nice they all seem so we get one beater that'll drive down from the village like three hours come and pick up a big bag of work for the entire community bring it back up there and then they all sit around together like gossip have their kids there i love that so it's a very woman orientated like skill actually not a lot of men do beating but it's also amazing because it gives the garment a story yeah and it gives the garment like a soul in a way yeah you know yeah, it does yeah and then as you kind of mentioned before we try and also add extra good energy into it by <laughs> the environmental side of it so for every item we sell we plant 25 trees in sub-sahara africa but it's using a forest gardening system too so it's not just trees for the sake of trees it's um it's growing food for families in Africa and they kind of yeah have this different system where they can grow this plant next to that one and it complements it and so that's they can, amazing they can feed their families and then we're working on now using each garment to raise money to clean five kilos of trash from the oceans too so and I think what's amazing as well is like you work with sequins a lot yeah and and obviously like this is you know we all know like how polluting like the whole like glitter situation is but i think right now in the fashion industry like there's a lot of greenwashing yeah so brands will be like yeah we're sustainable blah 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 and then when you like you know you You look deeper you're like you're not that green no exactly you just feel good yeah and i think the difference here is like you really went through and you really looked like okay 
how do we make this a sustainable and how do we give back to the earth what we're taking yeah so it really is like a whole 180 yeah we try our best I think it's hard like you know people can want to rip down people for not doing everything they can like we can't be a hundred percent perfect you because we're using perfect. and uh, I remember having a moment where I reached out to some Chinese manufacturers and I was like okay let's make plastic recycle plastic sequins yeah. you know and they got back to me and were like oh well most of the sequins that you order from us are actually PET recycled plastic yeah. bottles but like you don't know until you go there and actually see it for yourself and then I was like okay well what if we want to produce this you know yeah, we, we want, want to be the first uh-huh. people making sequins out of recycled trash yeah. how do we do that she's like yeah well we can look into that you have to fly over here and the minimum order quantity is gonna be like a hundred thousand kilos or you know what I mean you're talking <laughs> big money I love that. big scale I don't know I still got a hope kilos. I'm like we're gonna be able to get there one day and I hope that like soon the technology gets there and I feel like it is step by step people are starting to make things that are one step more sustainable because people demand it but in the meantime like we try and do what we can you know so we'll try and like be as green as we can in other ways if it's not our materials we're using we do make pieces that we hope people just keep forever yeah and it's not fast fashion and it's not something you only keep for a festival it's yeah. like for your everyday and life you would, as you well you would sell that on if you don't want it anymore you'd pass it on yeah. like these are pieces that take months to make so it's like yeah. wearable art that hopefully never gets thrown out ever <laughs> you know it just yeah. gets, it gets yeah. its eternal life but yeah, yeah. I mean, it does get eternal life because I found it in some showroom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But you know, I think what's really hard as a stylist for me is like the constant people constantly want new, new, yeah. new. They don't really want to reuse. I mean, Becky is very much up for circular fashion. Like she wears a look once, she will like rewear it, will you know, we'll always like work around all pieces and everything. But as a stylist, for example, when I do a commercial, they're like, okay, can you send us mood boards? And so you send those mood boards of like the idea of, you know, the the whole like clothing situation behind each character and everything, which is kind of like costume design. And then they're like, okay, that's great. Can you do that? But like for Primark price. And you're like, how do I explain to you that I can give you a great result with a great way of doing it mm-hmm. for a bit more money where you will actually like you know because how many times do we work with brands as stylists where they're like we want to do this commercial we want everything to be eco-friendly everything blah 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 but you need to go to Primark or you need to go to Zara and right. that's your budget and then you're like so you're not eco-friendly you're like you know what you say you stand for is not actually what's happening behind the yeah because actually to be behind the scenes. is not it's not a cheap thing to do it's not a cheap it's expensive thing. to like make sure you're doing it, it in the best way you can it is and then they're like okay well let's just get like green stuff but then you need to return them and i'm like so you you definitely don't want to spend money in it yeah you don't want to spend money in it you just want to have like the venture and the image but you don't want to do that and now i've arrived at a stage where i've been styling for over over 12 years i think something Mm -hmm. like that originally being a designer and switched to styling because i was like there's for me there's more freedom in styling because what i was being asked to design was constantly copying other designers and i was like that's not yeah, what that's i want to do what you enjoy as a designer no. you can have no pride in that exactly and like you you get trained into creating something original and something that is like a little part of yourself yeah. at the same time and then you go into those big companies and they're like okay let's go on a shopping trip let's buy loads of stuff and then let's just put them all on the table and let's 
let's copy this and that and that that bag sold well from that other brand so let's just right. repost yeah, that that's side heartbreaking. of it it's like, heartbreaking but then right? as a stylist I guess you can be like okay well that's what you want we can get those from those original brands as a stylist but- I discovered like a world of designers mm-hmm. and original designs that I could use for my clients and I could in a way be creative in a very different way I do miss the design but I find like creativity very different. What I do find now nowadays, like we're in 2023, Coachella just happened. It's like, I haven't seen anything that's really original. I haven't seen anything that's really new. And I also, what I've seen more and more is all these fast fashion and, yeah. you know, fake fake new ideas and greenwashing and all of that. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's really troubling when you are you know trying to style something brand new to the eye yeah Yeah. a lot of it just gets feeling like it's recycled and reused and yeah Yeah. it's crazy so you've been styling for 12 years yeah and before that how long were you designing for how long so I went to fashion school at 17 I spent four years there but I started working was that in London fashion no it was in Paris I started working basically at the same time as I was studying because at first you could do internships and then the last year on the fourth year you could do something called an alternance which is half of the time you're in a company and then the other well three quarter of the time you're in a company and then the last bit you're at school oh wow that's kind of awesome actually that it pushes you out there to go work with people yeah and actually, the first company that I worked for was called Les Cakes de Bertrand. And what I was doing the whole day was uh, putting glitter on top of pouches. No way. Just <laughs> yeah. gluing it down? Or? Yeah, gluing it down, like all handmade and everything. And like then all people... this education and I'm yeah. just <laughs> yeah, gluing glitter to bags. But those moments are important too. And I was about to go study economy and my mom was like, I feel like you should do something in fashion because you're always like customizing your clothes, yeah. selling your clothes to people and stuff. And then that's how it that's ended up actually in the fashion really awesome and supportive it's not yeah it's not every day that parents are like that, no because you know? it can be scary for a parent to be like go pursue art when you can just see like not everyone succeeds with it either it's quite yeah. scary but I think I think as a mom she was really like I just want my kid to be happy and I can see that right now what she's about to do is not yeah. gonna make her happy yeah I remember when my dad wanted me to go to business school I said to him, I was like, if I accept this business school offer, that's like a sentence for four yeah. years and you can buy me that business degree and an early grave. Yeah. Because like, yeah. I'm not going to have a happy life. I'm going to be miserable. It's going to get to me. And you see so many people who do the right thing and they do, you know, the job that their parents were expecting them to do, or you know, yeah. and they're just so miserable. And I'm like, I just didn't want to be like that. I remember hearing as well when I was younger, it's like, you have to find a job. It's that, you know, it's kind of an old old saying, but you have to do something you love so much that it feels like you would do it for free yeah. forever. Like yeah. you just have to love doing it. And then you're putting that love into it and you just have to trust that you will be successful at some point with it, you know? And I think It'll you have back. to understand also that you will be doing it for free for quite some time yeah. before it starts getting successful and that this is a step towards, yeah, uh, you know, being successful. Yeah. Because nowadays it's like, I... I see so many people are like, if it doesn't work in six months, then I, I quit. I'm like, my friend, if it took me six months, I wouldn't be where I am today. This is like years of work and years of energy and blood, sweat. And yeah, tears you have to and, love you know? it enough to put those, yeah. put those years of your life into it, you know? Yeah, for me, it was years of just like hot glue gunning things together and like I didn't know how to sew for the longest time. When I applied for Wimbledon College of Art, actually, um, my application 
my main inspiration has always been music. So I translated songs into clothing pieces and I had no idea how to sew. So I was making like wizard hats and wizard capes, like hot glue gunning everything together and just trying to make- I love the glue gun. I loved it. I was like, I have no idea how to sew. And I learned later, but yeah, the hours and hours you put into work for free and just put a portfolio together even, it's, I would never do that for accounting. I'm not going to sit there and do accounting for five years for free. But you know, I so when I was a designer at some point, I was in Spain mm-hmm. and I got this call from a company called Uterque at the time, which belongs to Inditex. And they were like, can you come for like um, an interview? I was like, yeah, sure. And they were like, so for the interview, you need to prepare a mini collection of six pair of shoes because I was designing shoes at the time. And you need to do this mini collection of shoes and you need to bring like a few technical sketches and, mm-hmm. you know, like the whole thing. I was like, wow, this is really complete. Like they're asking me for the whole deal. Yeah. So I, I designed that collection. I did my technical sketches for each pair of shoe. I did like my material, you know, sheet and everything. And uh, and then I arrived, I'd start the interview and then they're like, okay, can you go out of the room? We're just gonna like have a chat about your collection. But this was a room that had like those windows with those like, you know, those blinds like that slats. like sh- slats, yeah, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And they forgot to close the slats. <laughs> and I oh see someone in the fucking room with a camera taking pictures of all the boards. No. And so I just walked in, I was like, this is not what I'm signing up for. Yeah. I'm going. Yeah, good for you to stand up for it too and just say like, this is not. But that was the beginning of a long realization of this is like the norm in the fashion industry. Like how someone will take something from a young designer, rip it off, produce it, mass produce it. And that's it. Completely. Insane. Yeah. You see, I've had so many friends have their art stolen and put on these fast fashion websites, you know. It's heartbreaking. Even I've had some stuff stolen yeah. by young designers too, which is even it's crazier. Because you're like, you're a young artist. You should be like, you know, doing your own thing. And I hate that negativity and having to confront that. But yeah, so many designs do get stolen and I wish there was more protection there. I don't know if you heard about, you know, whenever I think about it, I'm like, wow, surely we can fight this all together and take down these people that steal designs. But when you look into it and how it artists, is there, so is, complicated. there is no protection there. I don't know if you heard about that case where it was, um, oh God, it's blanking me after this long flight, but the shoe designer <laughs> with the red soles. Yes, Louboutin. Louboutin, that's it. So do you remember there was a big case where H&M started doing high heels with a red sole? Yes. And they went to court about it because they stole that from Louboutin and that's going to be a trademark. And it came down to the color of Pantone between the reds. And yeah, H&M because when one. you copy something, yeah. you just need seven differences. Yeah. But those seven differences can be like literally I, I learned it when they were asking me to copy they were like as long as you've got seven differences you can do the bag the same but like for example the length of the stitch oh my god just needs to be a little bit it's off. heartbreaking and, you know measurements like yeah. you add on like half a centimeter or something like that so you're like your bag is exactly the same as the other brand and you're like but it's got <laughs> just enough differences like a millimeter longer it, uh, yeah and the pantone's one shade different yeah i think it's a big reason actually that i ended up going so deep into hand beading mm-hmm. and making my pieces as complicated as i could fathom to make them so that they're you know it's like yeah just you cannot you can try and copy it. that yeah but, but you, you can also produce just, it with a machine yeah and i've even seen some knockoffs on some random website that's trying to sell like my full sequin bodysuits for like 30 dollars. i'm like there's physically and financially absolutely no, no way chance 
no way that you could ever do that. A lot of those websites are scams, I've realized, where they just try to take people's credit card details. Yeah. Because I was thinking, I was like, oh, this would be a hilarious TikTok reel or whatever, where you just buy it and then film opening the package of the copy. Yeah, so we were talking about the fact that there is no chance you can reproduce one of your bodysuits that are fully embellished, hand embellished, and make it for $30. Yeah, it's impossible. Also $30 final product. Yeah, that's insane. It's like so crazy and impossible. But I think maybe people are used to seeing those prices and they just believe and hope that you can have something like that. But yeah, there's a lot of scam websites out there. And then if you are reproducing a designer's work for that cheap, you just know that it's made in like the most horrific conditions. It is. Even like, really awesome designers out there that do hand beaded stuff you sometimes see their stuff on aliexpress or whatever and they're using sequin appliques that are machine made and like yeah. a patch is glued onto something but yeah it'll never look the same it'll never like hold the same magic you know no so. but you know what's really funny it's there's some rental places where they will try to charge me like an absolute fortune for like those type of bodysuits and stuff like that which i know are from aliexpress because i you went myself and checked yeah i'm like you're trying to rip me off like 500 dollars for the day but this you got it off aliexpress oh my god that's ridiculous and yeah. you know what the best tool is for that do you use google reverse image search yes sometimes yeah actually patricia told me about it see something you take a photo of it you go to google image search you put that photo into google so you search using an image and it'll just pop up with like all the aliexpress or wherever it comes from anything similar you know that's insane i've used that before to have to fight a case where do you someone was stealing my hat designs like these hats that take me so long to make someone started reproducing them and um is it the cowboy hat yeah the cowboy yeah, hats. Yeah, yeah. this girl in canada started reproducing them um and i just you know sent a really nice message first being like look these you know are my original work yeah and you're an artist too like i believe in you you can do something yeah. original like and she was trying to fight it saying um you oh, can't well, do actually, better. Yeah, she was like, well, I actually did this for a client and your photo was the reference image. And it was a photo of my hat on my branded box saying Jackalope Land and everything. And I was like, okay, well, you know, it's kind of similar because if you reverse image search your hat, all of my hats pop up. So yeah. it's a good sign. It's a good tool to use to see if your things yeah. are looking like someone else's. Even I use that sometimes just to double check that I'm not coming near anyone else's stuff. Because yeah. as a, as an artist, that just takes away all the joy of creating. Like, I don't want to make something that exists already. It's just what you were saying too. You don't want to make something that's already in existence. Otherwise, I know. think it, it just feels really shallow when it happens. Yeah. It's, and you I, know, it's for the money. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Yeah, not for the joy of creating something that doesn't no. exist before. And so obviously you do customs. Yeah. Um, I know you have quite quite a range of people that you do customs from. What's for you, because I know you're really inspired by the music world. Yeah. What's like your favorite thing ever to do? What's your dream person to dress or to do a custom for? Like, what do you stand for? Wow. In terms of, you know, all these things. I think actually like in terms of dream clients, it's anyone who's open to dressing in such a colorful and out of the box way. And people who are nice people, because you could dream of working with the biggest artists, but if they're mean to work with, that destroys that dream. It's awful. You know, I've been really lucky so far with the artists that have come to me. 
um, I've been lucky enough to like work with Paris Hilton, who's been like the nicest people, honestly, yeah. to work with. Um, I think a lot of my dreams, it's not so much about like how well they do on social media or how famous they are now, but a lot of my inspirations are like the old school rock stars, people yes. like Elton John or these people that kind of created such an aesthetic that paved the way for what costume design is now Liberace Liberace oh my, my god favorites. yes like I love Liberace I wish he was still around but those kind of outfits you know people who really like broke the boundaries and old rock and roll stars I yeah. think are some of my favorites too but. do you know what's really interesting about all these like old rock and roll and everything even when you think about Elvis it's like they reinvented themselves in their careers so many times but the style that they had has always been like a common thread right yeah. nowadays when you work I, I do a lot of music styling and it's like people always say okay so we're gonna go into a new campaign let's like do a rebrand let's rebrand let's mm -hmm. refresh da, da. and I'm like but actually the essence of those people who have paved the way for everyone it's not that they rebranded every single year when they released an album yeah it's like they, they have reinvented themselves, but they had the consistency yeah. in what they were wearing and how they because wear. Because people fall in love with that. Yeah. And they believe that it's authentic and true to that artist and who they are. So if someone's colorful and then the music company just wants to say like, you're going goth now, let's give yeah. them something different. It's like, that's not true to heart. And I think maybe no. people can see that sometimes. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's, it's an exciting world though, the world of costume. And I think that's it. Like music is the biggest inspiration, mm -hmm. you know? So like for me, I always love to listen to the artist I'm creating. So for these Becky costumes, we you were must playing, have listened to we Becky were playing so Becky much. nonstop. Even <laughs> Brian, my boyfriend, we were all listening to Becky nonstop. And it channels, you know, because you yeah. pick up on like, I remember studying and I'd play music and just paint abstract. What colors mm -hmm. are you drawn to when you listen to that beat? You know, what colors do you see? And what shapes and that's all what goes into these outfits in the end i mean it shows so it tells like I a bit of a story behind me us. yeah <laughs> lots of color and for becky's work it's like that you know she has such a strong voice and such like a you just feel so much energy from her music so to be able yeah. to put that into outfits is especially fun you know you get to and really her music is very personal like it 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 really is her and yeah. I think I mean I met her and she was like I like colors I like sequins I look I like glitters I like and you know like, this happy, is gonna be a fun, fun job pop <laughs> moments and yeah. I was like and that was eight years ago and I was like wow. okay and it's like we've explored an entire world and an entire facet of fashion that most of the artists that I've worked with would not let me go yeah. into because you know, now now, now it's really fashionable to like colors and sequins and all of that. But we went through an entire phase of like fashion was just really black, dark it wasn't and like depressing. That for a long it wasn't time. like that. Yeah. It takes a lot for an artist to be like, I stand for this yeah. and I want to keep on doing this. And the label to be like, don't you want to tone it down a little bit? And it's like, it's like no, more is more. That's my shit. That was me when I started the brand too. Everyone would always be like, it's a bit much. Have you thought of like simplifying it or making it more wearable? And I was like, if I'm too much, go not. find less. Yeah. <laughs> no. I was like, no, I feel like we need to add more. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to keep going and see what happens. <laughs> but you find your right people in the end, I think. Yeah. It's kind of like being a little lighthouse for like weirdos or colorful people or, you know, they all find each other in the end. You just have it, to like do. be authentic and eventually you're drawn to the right things. It's true. It's so I remember true. Um, 
when I was younger and living in London, I must have been 19 or whatever, I would wear the weirdest things. I'd go clubbing in a wedding dress. I'd wear like feather things, yeah. and wizard cloaks. And my dad was always like, how are you ever going to find a boyfriend? You know, he was like, your hair is rainbow. You have like glitter all over your face. He's like, I'm sorry, Sammy, but you're going to have to tone it down at some point if you want to no, get I'll into find someone who yeah. corresponds to that. And I was like, someone's yeah. going to find me and like me just how I am. And I was lucky yeah. I found the perfect person who was drawn to all the weirdness and, you know, loved me, even though I like dressing up like an alien. So. But I think we all have our person. Yeah, that's the thing. I think so. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, this is such an interesting thing because up until like a week ago, we we're literally talking from one side of the world to yeah. the other side of the <laughs> world. And now we're sitting down in this like studio in London. It's crazy. It's crazy. And I haven't the been back here so for small. five years. So for me, it's this extra wild. special to come back. And it's really special to come back because when I left, I, um, I left to start my brand yeah. and I'd been working for a lot of other people to their kind of design aesthetic. I was not doing the head design on these projects mm -hmm. and I, it was a lot of TV commercials, things for money, you know, yeah. it was commercials, jeans, white t-shirts. A lot of the costume industry actually is yeah. that. Yeah. I didn't realize that when it I got into my so degree. so much like that. Um, and so I remember when I left and I went to start my label, I was like, it was my dream to be able to come back to this city and to come back with my original designs mm -hmm. that really expressed who I was and what I wanted to do. And so you guys gave me the opportunity to come back and you're do that. Back. Exactly. And bring suitcases of ridiculous <laughs> sequin outfits with me across the border. I <laughs> so, love it. Yeah, it's been great already. And this is just a few this hours. This is just in. the beginning. <laughs> yes, this is, yes. This is just the beginning. Yeah, so we'll see what happens next. I think only good things. A lot of glitter, yeah. a lot of sequins, <laughs> a lot of colors, feathers, happiness. Yeah. I mean, next thing you know, we're going to be in Ibiza. Yeah. You're going to Ibiza too, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, God. I have a long okay. story with Ibiza. I've got two of my ex-boyfriends Oh wow! in Ibiza, my best friend. That's it's exciting. like okay. very close to my heart for many, many reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been ever since I heard the Venga Boys song. We're going to Ibiza. Oh. <laughs> it's been my dream. So. You're going to love this yeah. place. I'm so excited. And it's a very open-minded place. It's changed a lot in the past 10, 15 years, but it's still a very open-minded, so cool. fun Place. I have a lot of people drawing that similarity between Ibiza and Bali where yeah, I'm from true. because it's yeah. like a party island but they also say that there's some sort of like magic on the island you know that there draws is. people in and like if it wants you to be there you'll be there you'll be there something, yeah. something about it that keeps you there you know it's so, so I'm true. excited to see it I've heard a lot of similarities from like you know what I find my home over <laughs> over in Asia <laughs> so it's like the Spanish version well we're gonna find this out in like two weeks yeah i'm excited i can't <laughs> wait thank you so much for coming yeah. today on the podcast it's a pleasure me. to have you and i hope to have you back yeah absolutely you won't get rid of me now no i just never leave no <laughs> no i'm happy about that <laughs> You're gonna be thank stuck you here with me <laughs>